Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Elk Shape Podcast, episode 4-2, with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Guys, today is a cool episode because I'm bringing on my buddy, Justin Grimes, who is an archery guru. He's a technical archer. He's the guy that worked on my bows for years and years, helping him stay super tuned, helping me get my broadheads dialed, uh, coached me on archery quite a bit, and you know he moved away. We've stayed connected. I still send him videos on some of my archery technique. He's just kind of he's my go-to guy for just uh, helping me through the process of becoming better every day. We're going to bring him on today. He finally crushed the elk hunting learning curve this year. Killed his first bull in Idaho after seven years. We talk about that. We talk about frontal shots on elk. He killed his bull with the frontal shot. I killed one of my bulls this year with the frontal shot. My dad wounded a bull with the frontal shot this year. We're going to talk about frontal shots. They're kind of controversial. We're going to talk about fixed broadheads versus uh, expandable or mechanical. Then we're going to get into some technical archery stuff. You know, Justin has worked in an archery pro shop for years, and so he's seen all the mishaps. Guys bring in the wrong rest. They put on the wrong strings. They shoot their bows that are too long in draw length or too much poundage. Uh, we go through all that kind of stuff, those scenarios, and talk about tried and true equipment that can hold up to hunting out west for elk. Uh, we get into some good off-season practices. Now, Justin's a pretty laid-back dude. He's not like me. He doesn't talk as fast as me, so you're going to have to be patient, kind of have to get him going on this one a little bit. But, man, he's one of the best dudes I know, and I think you're going to love this episode. If you are a supporter of the Elk Shape podcast, check out elkshape.com. we got new swag rolling in. Check out the YouTube series that we put up there. Subscribe to the channel. Give this thing a five-star review. Thank you, sponsors. Hard work, discipline, delayed gratification, hustling because it's Dan's love language. Don't be lazy. I'm allergic to it. We'll talk about that. Enjoy the show. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man today, bringing on a buddy of mine who um, I don't even know how to describe. He's just one of my favorite people. He moved away, still stay in contact, and in fact, my dad had to call him in the middle of elk hunting season, so we'll get a, we'll get to that story, but Justin Grimes, what's up? How's it going this morning, Dan? Is it, is it Grimes or Grimes? Uh, Grimes. <laughs> I'm but just joking. Yeah. You call me all sorts of stuff. Really? They butcher. Yeah. I, I don't think that's like the easiest last name. That's why I was laughing. I was like, maybe it's. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it, uh, yeah. At the shop, I had all sorts of names outside of Grimes. So. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I met you quite a few years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were working at Spokane Valley Archery. Yep. And when you first came in there, I was like, yeah, you're not touching my bow. Only Josh does. Uh, <laughs> And fast forward after several years and lots of awesome conversations with you, I mean, I was always hoping that you'd be the guy to like help me tune my bow, answer some of my really technical art. Like you breathe it, 
you live it like I do. We're like-minded and uh, just a wealth of knowledge. So I appreciate you coming on today because that's what I want is you to drop knowledge bombs on technical archery. Um, this isn't knock on. This isn't John Dudley's show. This is Oak Shape. <laughs> so we'll t- right. we're going to tone it down a little bit before the more public land blue collar guys. But sure. um, I wanted to get your background real quick on how you got into archery and where you're at these days because you no longer work for Spokane Valley Archery and uh, figure out what's new with you. Sure. Um, so I got into hunting and archery uh, late in life. So, uh, probably my sophomore year of college, a friend of mine invited me to sit in a tree stand with him for whitetail deer just to, you know, have a buddy to hang out with. And that evening he ended up shooting a really nice, really nice whitetail. Um, and something just clicked. I don't know. Um, he was like, yeah, you should come out with me to the archery shop and uh, take a look at some bows and maybe give it a try. So I did. Um, I bought my first bow that year from Josh. It was a Hoyt. It was a Alpha Max 32. And, yeah, I just ate it up from there. I kind of found my calling late in life as far as what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I started out is what – at the shop we call it the arrow bitch so um, you know, i just fletched arrows for probably a year and just soaked up as much information from the guys that were working at the shop at the time um and yeah i worked for josh um on and off for almost seven years yeah i had a little a little stint there where i i moved to alaska to work for a guide outfitter um didn't quite work out how I'd hoped. Um, so I cut my losses, came home and committed to, you know, working in the, the archery field. So, but now I'm, uh, I'm in Genesee, Idaho. So a little South of you guys now. Um, and I'm a hunting manager for sportsman's warehouse in Lewiston. Dude, that's awesome. And I have, I'm, I got a connection with sportsman's warehouse just kind of mm-hmm. came up through there. So, Great company, great organization. They're lucky to have you. So you um, you got your first archery bull this year? I did, yes. You broke the learning curve? <laughs> yeah, I, right on par for I think the average number of uh, years put in for a guy to get just an elk in general. So, But yeah, it's, uh, it is a steep learning curve. Um, I like hunting solo, which I know you're kind of a proponent of that as well. I know you hunt with your dad, but most of the stuff you do is is on your own. Um, I just don't like running stuff by people. I want to make the call when I want to make the call. Um, so yeah, my my first couple of years were, you know, a lot of learning, a lot of mistakes. Uh, the cool thing, and I'd say the biggest advantage um, to just the the pro shop, the archery community is you've got so many people to draw from for advice and to learn from and anymore, especially with, you know, podcasts, uh, social media, you know, there's, there's little nuggets of information out there that a guy can, um, 
use. I know a lot of it seems like information overload at times, but I've taken a lot of conversations with guys um, at the shop and outside of the shop as far as elk hunting is concerned and along with my experience in the woods and yeah, it just all came together this year. Um, I love to hike. I'm not a, a fitness guy, uh, which I know a lot of your audience um, is, but um, I wouldn't say I'm in bad shape, but I can, I can hike. I put on a lot of miles this year to get a bull. Yeah. So what, when did you start uh, archery elk hunting? What year did you take off? Uh, that would have been, well, seven years ago. So 2011, 2011. My, yeah, my uncle and everything was in Washington. So, uh, yeah, most of Washington for your listeners that aren't Washington hunters, most of Washington is, is either a spike or cow only type setup. If you're hunting an Eastern, um, archery tag, there are some units, that are in the kind of north northeastern corner of the state where you can take any elk during early season but the season's so much shorter um your opportunities are few and far between it's it's just really difficult hunting so um i always had opportunities and it was just nothing i could ever capitalize on moving to idaho you know, the season's a lot better as far as length of season. Uh, and if a guy wants um, on public land, you can get away from people. And that's that's what I like to do. I think that's where you're going to have your your greatest success is when you're, you know, not around a bunch of yahoos riding around on four-wheelers. And, uh, yeah, that's what I... Still getting away from people was kind of the yeah. challenge in Washington? Um a little bit of the challenge, not not a ton of the challenge. But, but the, the dates sucked. I've said it before. Oh, this the thing. dates sucked, yeah. Even after they changed it uh, to, you know, whatever it is now, like the, you know, you've got more of the middle of the month to hunt, where yeah. before you had the first of the month. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's better. I'd say the last year that we were in Washington, um, I gave up my elk hunting season to take my wife out elk hunting um didn't even have a tag in my pocket and um we called a, a really nice bull really nice mature six point bull into he got as close as 60 yards maybe just a little further um and that was her first ever hunting experience um and i was kind of upset uh that I wasn't in her shoes because I, I feel like I have the, the ability to make that shot. Um, but it was really cool to see her get to, uh, experience that she was shaking really bad, uh, after he worked his way out of there. She just, I told her and I even limited her to the distance she could shoot. Cause, um, she can, she can shoot really well. And I have the confidence she could have taken that shot, but man, that's uh, you know to to take a sixty-yard shot and lose your first animal like that. I just didn't didn't want to even give her the option of it. So, well, that's cool that you got your wife out. So, seven years you got it done this year. Yeah. How many days were you in the field? 
Um, I know because I know you work a lot still. How, uh-huh. many, how many days were you in the field, and what were your tactics? Kind of get us through that uh, that process this year, going back six years, not being able to get it done. Uh, right. Year number seven, first year in Idaho. You're a resident of Idaho now. You have it's in your backyard. Mm-hmm. You um, let's tell us about the process because it's not like you. Uh, we're hunting Idaho those other six years, so you obviously went to a new state, um, yeah. and so that's pretty impressive that you were able to get it done. What did you What did you do different this year, and 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 leading up to the season, and then getting after it? Yeah, so uh, a couple of I'd start with kind of my, you know, not boots on the ground type stuff. Yeah, uh, go hunt, and I'd talk to you about that. Um, I know it's not necessarily the the resource for um, exactly what I used it for, but I I used it to try to kind of determine where I wanted to hunt um, as far as elk numbers, you know, bull cow ratios, um, you know, amount of public land, because that's, that's what I, and most of, you know, America is doing is probably public land stuff. Um, so, yeah, I... I got a couple of different zones that I thought I wanted to give a go. And then I contacted people that, um, I'm friends with, uh, Brad Nelson, um, yourself. I talked with your dad a little bit. Um, you know, just kind of got a bead from the, the local people on, okay, what areas seem like they received the most pressure. Um, because I don't necessarily want to be in those areas. Yeah. Um, went and did a couple of scouting trips. Uh, didn't hang any trail cameras, but just, you know, took on X out there, um, dropped some waypoints that I wanted to get to and check out, and was pretty set on this area I wanted to hunt. Well, what did you see when you were scouting in? What did you like? Like, what did you um, right. kind of drop pins on? Uh, I drop pins on stuff that's at least a mile and a half to two miles in is kind of where I, I want to start. Yep. Um, I, just the average guy isn't going to want to hoof it that far. Um, I look for stuff that I feel like should hold elk. So steep terrain that might have, um, and it's really hard to pick out without being on the ground. Uh, you can use Google Earth and Onyx to try to determine those spots, but it's it it's difficult. Um, so little benches, um, parallel in ridges. Uh, I look for stuff that's probably going to funnel animals in general. Yeah, and I um, I feel like those are good areas to key in on. But yeah, I went in, saw you know way more elk sign than I even imagined i'd see a lot of the elk trails looked like cattle trails that i'd seen in washington it was just a it was very encouraging yeah so i mean time spent in the field i was out there for um total days probably 10 11 days um just hunting weekends days off i didn't take any of my pto for elk hunting this year nice um which was really nice. And I tried my best to capitalize on my, my schedule has me off on a couple of middle of the week type days. 
so like that Wednesday, Thursday. And uh, we've got a, a mutual friend in, in Swoop, and he had always told me, it's like, those are the best days to be out there because those elk settle back into their natural patterns um, before they get hit again on the weekend by, you know, the weekend warriors. There's so, a little nugget of information, y'all. I mean, yeah. Don't overlook that. I think I couldn't agree more, man. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are my favorite days to hunt. And if I am forced to work during September, I will not be working on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd, I'd agree. I was uh, very optimistic about heading out. I think it was a Wednesday uh, was the day that I, that I shot that bull. I'll just kind of give you the quick skinny. Um, I don't want to spend too much time i mean i could talk about elk hunting and my ear so far for hours but uh, yeah i was driving into uh the area that i was gonna focus on for the day it's just a a little dirt road that has a bunch of old spur roads that cut off of it i had probably you know 10 cows run out in front of my rig you know in front of my headlights there and Part of me just wanted to, um, you know, keep on going. It was an optimistic thing to see. But I pulled over and, uh, you know, parked my truck, got out. I was going to try to set up on them, but things just weren't going to work out. The wind wasn't particularly in my favor to try to hit in there and, and get anything done. So, um, I kept my eyes on the prize and just got back to my rig head down the road and it's probably a quarter mile out from where I wanted to end up, um, starting to hike in and, um, same sort of thing happened. A bunch of cows run across the road. It's getting to the point now where I can see, you know, well enough that, uh, I'm like, man, I could, uh, I'm going to try to do the same thing. So drive past them a little ways, park my truck, get out, hike in a little bit and gave a couple of, like lost calf, um, muse and got a cow to kind of stop on this little ridge top. She came over and I was looking down my way. She's still a, a little ways out and it was before I could really make a shot, um, time wise, but I wanted to try to keep him close. And about that time I heard a, a bugle from the other side, um, of this little two track, road so i bugled back at him and he cut me off you know at the end of my bugle so i you know i had a receptive you know challenger and i was using um i know you like phelps stuff i was using that new uh i think he calls it the unrivaled call that little little itty bitty bat yep run across the the two track and i chased him for a while kind of straight uphill and and he'd bugle at me and and come back, you know, you can, I can pick up when he's, you know, making ground towards me or making ground away from me. He wasn't hundred percent committed to coming in yet. And, uh, I wasn't actually completely outfitted in what I was going to be, you know, heading in it gear wise. You know, I had, I had my bow and, you know, my boots on, but the rest of what I was wearing was kind of, uh, you know, your everyday garb. So I went back to the truck, smashed on all my gear as quickly as I could. I'd made, uh, 
a mark on Onyx where I'd seen and caught a glimpse of him. Yeah. Uh, last, uh, turned it to the topography mode and then just checked the wind. And I worked back in their ways to the point where I felt like I'd probably caught back up with him um, if he'd kept course. And got a response from him. Um, and then I got a response from another bull. I don't know if he was responding to me or, or to this this other bull down below him and i'm kind of up on a on a top i've got the wind kind of moving from my right to left and they're off to my right so as long as i can keep that you know position it's going to be good and just call you know call and move forward as long as i'm getting responses and i could tell this one bull was committed to coming in to see what was going on and my final setup was going to give me a a good shot when I started here in that brush breaking, you know, coming in, it allowed me the time to kind of get those nerves out of the way. Oh yeah. Um, like, all right, he's, he's committed. He's coming in, you know, no more noises because he's going to go to the last place that I, you know, was making noise. You know, I'm, I'm in his house. He knows where he's going. He knows where he, he thinks I I'm at. So I knocked an arrow and I'm, I'm shooting a, a hinge release for for hunting it's what i use for target archery and i just i'm keeping things consistent so got Ball, my hinge that's on. ballsy <laughs> i've done it before but um i'm committing to it so got my hinge on my my loop and i've got everything ranged out and i catch his antlers coming through the the brush and i can tell for sure he's a he's a good bull um it wouldn't have mattered if he was a spike a cow i was I was committed to making, if the opportunity is there, is committed to making the shot happen. So mm-hmm. uh, it looks like he's going to go, you know, into my 20 to 23 yard lane. And uh, instead he, he beelined it towards me. I mean, straight on, ended up stopping at 12 yards. I'm already at full draw. And he started to let a bugle out just, and I, I mean, my pin was, I've never held a pin so steady on an animal, smashed it. Um, I don't even remember my release going off. Um, my pin is just sitting on his chest as he's walking straight forward um, towards me. And I remember a lot of times I black out when I shoot an animal. But um, <laughs> yeah, when that when that shot broke and he spun, it was like Quentin Tarantino movie, man. There was blood just went everywhere. Um, that shot, I know it's the very controversial deal um some people hate it some people love it but i felt confident in it and man there was blood everywhere and he didn't go 25 yards and i heard him expire um was overcome with him you know emotion and you know milestone in my life pretty cool deal i i think about it daily still so how far was the shot uh, 12 yards. 12 yards. And then was it straight on frontal? And straight on frontal. And yep. did you go center mass of the chest? Yeah, he was just a titch um, downhill. Perfect. From me. So yeah. I, was able to, I was able to aim a little higher than maybe you would if you're on flat ground. Yeah. Um, and uh, like I said, my pin was just sitting there. It, no movement at all, which yeah. was very reassuring that everything was going to go right. And then, like I said, I think it's just, we can talk about the hinge later, but yeah, the shot just broke and 
everything happened so quickly and and then the work began right oh, you know, yeah. break break the animal down so i just i do the gutless method it was it was cold enough to to do it i didn't need to to get that animal cooled too quickly yeah so i pulled i pulled one side off completely and was able to get a buddy um to come in and and help me do the other side real quickly and get her back to the truck that's so. awesome dude well, the frontal shot is controversial. Um, I've talked about this before, but uh, I did kill a bull this year frontal. It was the, it was one of those deals where it kind of like it just was one of those subconscious. The shot happened, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess I took the frontal." I didn't, you know, it just that's the way it happened. That's where it broke, and that may sound weird to some people. I think you get that. Um, mm-hmm. Then my dad this year took a frontal and he just didn't have a good angle. The bull was slightly uphill to him and mm-hmm. he did not go center mass. He tried to sneak it on the side and that bull was fine. That bull lived. Uh, I've also seen my dad take an uphill about a 10 yard frontal and just the bull died so fast. So I've seen, yeah. I've seen three frontals. Two were my dad's. It worked out once, and then this year was kind of like uh, my my frontal was devastating, and mm-hmm. um, I don't prefer it. I think no. it's a lower percentage. <laughs> I don't yeah. prefer it, um, but I think if it's ten yards and under, and you're shooting seventy plus pounds heavy arrow with a fixed, I'd say I would take that shot over a quartering two shot any day. Yeah. I yeah. hate that quartering two shot. That's the shot that's ruined my life before. Yeah. And, I, uh, yeah. So just, just for, uh, you know, trying to soak in for information out of, uh, this conversation, as far as arrow penetration, are you, are you getting full into the full cavity of the animal? You got arrow hanging out. Oh no. I I got arrow hanging out. Um, just before the fletch at six mm-hmm. yards. Um, mm-hmm could see fletches when he whirled um and then the arrow broke off he went he went through a wall of alders side healing mm-hmm. he did not take an elk trail so it kind of threw us off because like we we it was really hard to track he had 20 cows and it was just really hard to find his track found good blood like at the shot and maybe 10 yards on an elk trail and then nothing and we spent almost 35 minutes just doing circles and there were so many elk still there, like they didn't know what happened. We kept yeah. bump, we kept bump, kept bumping elk and thought maybe that was him. And um, finally, we went back to the original blood and just got lucky. And my dad just happened to kind of side hill and be like, "Oh, dude, he bled into these alders, and these alders are <laughs> taller than me." And uh, yeah. we went through those alders, and it was great blood. And then my arrow was about ten yards broken off halfway, so half mm-hmm. of it was in him. And then another 10 yards, there he was, tipped upside down. Um, it's on the – I just put that video up on YouTube. So it's mm-hmm. up there. But, yeah, I mean, uh, great penetration. And then on Rod's bull, he just took a bad angle and it ricocheted off rib into shoulder. It made like this tic-tac sound. And um, and then the year – or the year he did his first frontal kill was like 2009 or something. And he uh, he got his arrow buried to the fletching. And mm-hmm. got great penetration. So I shoot an FMJ 340 spine um, with broadhead and everything. I'm at just at about 500 grains. 
So, okay. And I usually order a Hoyt 70 to 80 pound bow usually. Right. Um, this year, I think I was at like 72 pounds. So, um, you know, and I'm a short draw length. Mine's 27. It's not like, um, but I still think kinetic energy wise, uh, the, uh, I've tried a lot of different setups. I still believe the FMJ with a fixed broadhead is tough to beat. What arrow were you using yeah. this year? No, it's, it's lethal. Um, I was using a gold tip hunter pro yeah and uh shuttle t which i've used before after dan sold his company um you know they changed the blade design a little bit which i was a little skeptical of but you know after shooting them all summer it seemed like they were flight wise you know doing the same thing that they had in the past i sharpen those blades yeah uh, because they're not, uh, they're not the sharpest thing out of the package. So I, I put an edge on them. Yeah. That's a great idea. Um, there used to be a video out there that one of Dan's guys made about how to sharpen that, but, uh, yeah, sharpen that up. So I, I was running that. I pull 60 pounds, which is, um, maybe a little off what a lot of, uh, elk hunters are doing. I know Jared Lyle who uh and you know jared too um he's a 60 pound guy yeah um, that's all he shoots um i feel like it's more than lethal i think arrow weight um as you said is is the the key contributor what was your uh, total weight of your setup 435 okay my arrow okay um not shooting you know fast at all but i have a i have a good flying setup and i know it hits hard I had the knock was just barely visible out of the front of that elk. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I had to kind of reach in there and pull it out. And that's, I'm sure we'll get into that with, you know, bows and arrows and whatnot. But I think that's a contributor of, of arrow weight, uh, shot placement, and, you know, that blade sharpness. That's pretty cool. I've never, I used to rock shuttle tea till dance old. Um, and then I was in, <laughs> I was in no man's land for a while, like, messing around and i've shot elk with strikers very popular head pretty good head i didn't like the moving pieces if it ever mm. if it ever comes loose blades go flying everywhere so uh i've done you know some one other g5 what's the other one that's it's a fixed montec i've done the montec where it's like molded injected i think mm-hmm. that was good and then you just keep an edge on it that's good um and then gosh i did another one that was a four blade it's slick a trick? Slick trick, four blade. And a uh-huh. slick trick, three blade, killed elk with those. Those are really good. But I settled in on the Grim Reaper when, when um, right. Grim, Grim Reaper's known for like mechanicals. Mechanical. Yeah. And um, I've, actually, uh, I've actually lost a bull in New Mexico in 2007 with a Grim Reaper uh, on a shot I felt like was good. And I walked away from mechanicals and never came back to them since then. My buddy Matt, who works for them, is like showed me bull after bull, big buck that he's mechanicals, and it is all about shot placement. But when it comes down to some forgiveness, I'm looking for the sharpest broadhead out of the package that flies <laughs> that flies well, and they're called micro Hades. Are the sharpest broadheads I've I've cut myself almost every time I take out a new package. And I can I can honestly never say that before about any other broadhead. They're mm-hmm. they're so sharp and um, they're low profile. And then I can kind of mix and match the three or four blade based on what I'm hunting 
and my setup. So um, I've killed bears and bulls and bucks with four blades, uh, but I, I, I go back to the three blade usually mm-hmm. when I'm shooting longer distances and whatnot. But um, broadheads are, are, are a personal decision. I would just encourage anyone listening to take it from me. There is a higher road and it is a fixed broadhead because it will give you a little more forgiveness in the long run. Agreed. And I think that just slapping a mechanical on because you're, it flies the same as your fill points. And if you slap a broadhead on there and it shoots a foot to the right or a foot high, foot low, or just a couple inches, you don't like the groups. That's, that's just lazy. And I am allergic to laziness allergic to it (laughs) and i don't i don't understand it so let's move on because here's why i brought you on justin like i think you're one of the biggest archery nerds out there and you've spent the most time dealing with elk hunters in our Mm -hmm. in a pro shop so this episode really i wanted to kind of get into the common mistakes guys are making and it can be stuff that I'm, I'm, I can't even think of because you've seen it firsthand. So let's go over the most common mistakes. Guys bring their bows in to you right before season. We already know Always. that. We already know that. Yeah. So let's get besides that. People are lazy. <laughs> I'm allergic to them. They don't shoot their bow year-round. Let's mm-hmm. put those guys aside. We're going to go ahead and squash that topic. But okay. I want to go through like, okay, tried and true equipment to put on your bow. And I don't want to talk bow manufacturers yet, but just want to try and true accessories. Which ones are are nice, but you know you could do this route; it's cheaper, and mm-hmm. it's going to do just as good or good enough. This piece of equipment, don't compromise. Get it. This is all right. your like, anecdotal. This is your opinion. So let's go through arrow rests, followways. Sure. Do you attach it to your cable? Do you attach it to the limb? Which which man? Give us some options, price ranges sure. that are are yeah. really bulletproof. Um, I guess for, for the equipment you don't want to skimp on, uh, the rest is going to be the, the number one, you know, top of my list type of thing that you don't want to skimp on. Manufacturer wise, I am shooting on my target equipment and my hunting setups, uh, Hamsky equipment. Um, they've got the hybrid hunter pro out now and you can get that in a micro or a non-micro setup and that is a it's intended to be a limb driven rest which would mean that the the actuation of that rest happens when the limb is compressed so when you draw your bow back your launcher arm on your rest comes up when you fire the bow it falls away um that's going to be at the upper end of the price that you're probably going to um be looking at for for a good arrow rest other ones that i i have in my experience is going to be like a a trophy taker smackdown pro i think that's a really good rest um obviously and we've already hit on this things have changed with the selling of trophy taker um and now dan's you know doing his own thing with option but that's that's still a really good rest. Ripcord makes an awesome product. The Ace and the Code Red, those are a really nice rest. I think both Josh and I, you know, Josh Jones at Spokane Valley Archery, one of my, um, you know, he's my he's my Yoda. I think we'd both agree if you had a choice between a QAD 
and a ripcord. We'd, we'd choose ripcord every time. But these are, you know, all this stuff is going to be a point of contention between guys that are QAD fans or ripcord fans or SmackDown Pro fans and Hamski fans. So, Well, what I'd rest say, do you not want to see walk through the door? What do I not want to see? Yeah, let's go through those. Um, if you're shooting a, a fixed-blade broadhead, which I think requires some sort of offset or helical to your arrow setup, I don't want to see you shooting um, any sort of full-capture biscuit-type rest. I'm not a huge fan. I'd rather see a guy shoot a limb-driven rest than a cable-driven rest. And your cable-driven rests are going to be your your QADs, your rip cords, your um, true glow rests. Um, Trophy Ridge actually has a couple of rests that do the same thing. One that gets overlooked, I'd say, would be the uh, HHA Vertus rest. It's about a $100 rest that uh, HHA, which is they're known for their single pin sights, they make it's a it's a really well built rest. I'd say that rest, ripcord rest, trophy taker, hamski. You need to spend your money there. Um, I'm not going to really give anything outside of of those um, rests right there as options for guys if they're going to come into um, a shop or into sportsmen's. I'm not going to show them something straight out the gate other than that and if they just don't want to spend the money there then so be it but i think that's that's where everything is determined with your aero flight is the the function of your rest so if you don't have a good one um i don't care what type of fancy dancy site you got on your rig it's it's not going to do you do you good all right let's so go into rest spur- is number one rest is number one i want to talk to arch uh strings yeah. Do, you know, I know my opinion, but I don't want to state yes. it. Um, <laughs> let's say you get your bow and it, uh-huh. it comes with the manufactured strings that it comes uh-huh. with. What's what's the likelihood of those strings stretching? What do you think? Should guys order custom strings? What mm-hmm. kind of materials, if they go with a custom string builder locally like I do, or mm-hmm. if they go with the bigger names? I can think of a couple manufacturers that just, you know, specialize in making strings. Right. Um, let's talk strings. Yes. Manufacturer um, strings. So if you're going to buy, let's say, a Hoyt and you get a set of few strings on your bow, they are so much better than they used to be. I think for your average Joe, you can probably get a year out of those. Things to keep an eye on would be serving separation and timing and and those are your your main concerns with a custom string if it's done right you shouldn't see too much of that stuff you know you might need minor tweaks to the lengths of your your cables um, to adjust timing but you shouldn't see serving separation at all which serving is i don't know if i need to state this or not i mean serving is that material that's going to cover the actual strands in the string anywhere on your your cam where you've got a a hard bend in the cam or where it rolls over a module, um, makes contact with a draw stop. Those are spots that you're going to see separation where the serving just kind of separates and exposes the the strands underneath. That'll, that'll actually cause changes in, in timing and actually 
if it's not handled quickly enough can can do damage to the strands underneath so straight out the gate most stuff is is better than it used to be as far as a stock string if you're going to go with something aftermarket if you haven't done it before i'd encourage you just to to talk to some some people you know that and get a bead on on what they've had a good experience with i think the most important thing is going to be um the material that it's made out of and the what is the best what is the best material in my mind yeah i like i like 452x and it's more of a it's a it's a target material and a lot of this this is all personal experience and you might have some guys that weigh in and say differently but 452x for me it's it's a uh it's a material that a lot of target archers use and there's a reason um they use it just the qualities of that material allow it to essentially be a, a bulletproof strand for your string cable set yeah um so and that's a bcy material uh bcy and brownell they're going to be your manufacturers of string making materials so what you we'll just take Hoyt for instance um i think a lot of their stuff comes stock with uh bcyx which is kind of a, a hybrid between a couple of materials and they're they're looking for a string that's quiet and also holds its lengths really well but if i already encourage any guy to to get a custom string you had the option to choose what kind of material is made out of i'd say 452x it's a titch louder um, but if you bump up your strand count a little bit you can help dampen that noise Gotcha. And they're just t- tight servings. Um, manufacturers, I, I'd recommend, you know, obviously I'm going to say um, Josh's strings. Uh, they're SVA. I think he does a really good job, and he's taken the time to figure out what's needed to make a really good string. I build my own strings because Josh taught me how to do it, and um, I was actually just up there this week um, building a set for my target bow. It's not too hard to do. If a guy really wanted to do it, he could build his own stuff. But uh, I don't think that's. I don't think people nerd out on it like I do. Probably not um, realistic. I know it's not for me, yeah. but I would say, uh, does Josh still call his strings podium archer? So yeah, podium strings. We had we had a number of uh, brainstorming sessions trying to figure out what to call his strings, and that's you know kind of what he he ended on. So Love it. I, I know Josh allows you to send your bow in to have you uh, so that you can get a custom set made. Yeah. Um, and the reason he does that, and, and this is something I'd, I'd point out, is he wants to match the stock um, or, you know, maybe aftermarket um, serving lengths that you have on your bow. And then he wants to be able to put everything back on your bow the way it was yeah so you're that's something that you're not going to get from like uh you know vapor trail america's best winner's choice uh you know you're not going to get that from them you're going to get a you know you're going to get your lengths correct most of the time um and you're going to get the colors you want but you're not gonna um you know what josh offers in in putting stuff back on setting your bow 
back up and in the way that it was received that's that's a pretty cool deal all right let's let's move on from strings we got rest and strings i don't want to talk about sites too much i I think it's such a personal decision (laughs) yeah it is my two cents is if you're gonna come elk hunting with me in north north idaho you can bring a single pin and leave it on 20 and you'll be fine um, if you're going to go elk hunting with me and we're going to go to just about any other state, I would recommend some multiple pins cause, uh, shit's going to happen fast and you're not going to have time to slide around and, uh, not a huge fan of a single pin set at 50 where you aim off hair at 20, 30, 20 <laughs> yards or, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. Uh, not uh-huh. a huge fan. I think it's, I've tried it. Uh, I just think tried and true is probably some multiple pins. Uh, I generally run some sort of. Anywhere between two and four pins. That uh, the bottom pin is the slider, and yep. uh, all my my realistic, effective archery range with a broadhead is eighty yards and in. And I do mm-hmm. shoot out to a little bit past a hundred, but I never. I don't think I can remember the last time I've really had a slider that t- slider tape that went out past eighty. And that's just uh-huh. that's just me. Um, it sounds like your. You've tried everything as well. Are you running multiple pins for elk? Uh, I am. Uh, so I was going to ask you what side are you using right now? Right now, I'm in the market. But um, currently, on my, I have an HHA on my uh, target setup. I love that. Um, I've used CBE and um, black gold, and mm-hmm. I've just switched back and forth between those two for years. Um, I'm a little bit interested in spot hog. For the most part, I have used option archery as well. Yeah, that's what I, I'm using. Right I now. really liked the idea of having the best of both worlds and flipping that open. When it comes to option archery site, and I talked to this is Dan's earlier years when he first started coming out. Mm-hmm. I felt like when I flipped open my cage. So for those that don't know the option site, you have oh, you can have as many pins as you really want. Let's just say you had five. Um, you could flip the five out of the way of your site picture. And the bottom pin is your single pin or the whatever pin. And you have a single pin that works separately and you can slide it up and down. That did not do the, – the model I had didn't line up very well with the rest of my pins. It was either a little to the left or a little to the right. Um, mm-hmm. I was stripping bolts and I just – I haven't come back to it yet. Um, in fact, that site is on my, my wife's bow setup and uh, I don't think I'm getting it back. She loves it. But, Alicia um, likes it. Oh yeah, she loves yeah. it. But I Good. would say I'm looking for probably something for me that is bright, has mm-hmm. bottom pin slider, has third axis adjustment, percent. And yeah. as far as anything else goes, I don't really, I don't need a super long dovetail, all that kind of stuff. I don't care about too much. Um, I just need it to be bulletproof. I'm going to take it through brush. I need the pins. To have a good pin guard, I need them to just be bright. Uh, I don't need a light to screw in. I, everywhere I hunt, you can't have electronic equipment on your bow anyways. You know, that kind of stuff. But yeah. um, I think, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to ATA this year, and I'm going to look around a little bit and see if I can line up. I try to, when I work with companies and partnerships and sponsorships, I try to pretty much use their product without their influence for a couple seasons before we talk shop or, and make a deal or something. But Sure. Um, I don't know. I'm in the market right now, but I will tell you this. When it comes to bows and brace heights, I think I want to get into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
I, for years, was a seven-inch brace height guy. And then uh-huh. Hoyt's pretty much just kind of stopped making that option. Like they went to six and three-quarter, I believe. And I haven't noticed much of a difference really um, working on, you know, my shooting form. I've had you reach out and give me pointers. And I'm coachable. Like I am – when I have somebody uh, in the CrossFit gym and they're coachable, I love working with them because we can just improve their game so fast. But if they right. have learned bad habits and an ego, I just don't even want to work with them. Um, yeah. And so I would advise everybody to get some video analysis of the way they shoot on slow-mo, all different angles, and get with somebody who's better than you or somebody who studied it more and just start working like so. This year for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that left shoulder. So I'm right-handed. I'm working on getting that left shoulder um down which means i'm locking my shoulder blades i'm depressing the scapula downward rotation and locking in the shoulder um i had a tendency to and i didn't really notice until i had um used to look at my video with my shirt off uh that sounds kind of gay but that's fine but um (laughs) i had you looking and you were like yeah your shoulder is elevated and i was (laughs) activating my trap and i wasn't depressing the scapula down and that's just a much more stable position. And yeah. when it comes to archery, in my opinion, it's all about duplication. Can you mm-hmm. duplicate the same shot process over and over? And mm-hmm. um, I think video analysis with today's smartphones, everyone's just got about – almost everyone's got a smartphone that can do slow-mo. Yep. Get some footage and get with a mentor. And uh, I posted on Instagram yesterday. It's like every day for the next 11 months, you have an opportunity to make yourself better than you were this season. And yeah. for me, that's a lot of that always comes down to shooting. Like shooting is nothing I've ever mastered. I always feel like I, there's more meat on the bone. The ceiling is always a little higher. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what are some most common mistakes you see when guys bring their setups and they go into the archery range, and you guys have an indoor range in there, and you're working on bows, and I know you're creeping out the corner of your eye. What are like, let's go over like three to five common mistakes people are making when it comes to sh- just shooting their bow, even veteran hunters. So, fit, I think the fit of the bow to you is key. And I think there's a lot of people that shoot a little longer than what their um, anatomy wants to allow them to do which is a a downfall. So fit would be where I'd start with anybody. Okay. Does your bow fit you draw length wise? Number one, number two poundage wise. And that's six foot 150 pounds when I'm, you know, straight away in the morning when I haven't taken a grumpy. Um, (laughs) So it's not, it's, I can pull 70 pounds, but in the field, um, when, you know, I might be a little tired or it's a titch cold or, or whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to draw my bow as efficiently and as smoothly as I want to, you know, this is, this is going to be, um, you know, something that I look at is somebody struggling to draw their bow. Yes. Okay. We need to back the poundage down and they need to work at, you know, reaching that goal of pulling heavier weight, but for the time being, um, don't create bad habits cause you're overbowed. So I'd get poundage and draw length where they need to be. Hand placement is going to be the next thing I look at, you know, where are you running your bow hands in the grip of your bow? That's a, a big influencer of where you're going to impact on target. 
So I'd address that next. I guess that would be number two. Anchor point would be the third thing I look at. I'd like to see somebody, if their bow fits them correctly and their string angle allows them, I, I want to see their head straight up and down. I don't want to see them, you know, trying to lean their head forward to get into their peep um, or running their face, you know, really heavy into the string or, or way off of the string. So I, I want them to have a solid, repeatable, consistent anchor that they can reach every time. Yeah. And then the last thing, which is really hard and it's a really in-depth subject and everybody has a different way of going about it would be the shot execution. <laughs> and I would, I'd encourage people and this is the time of the year to do it, especially if, if elk hunting is your jam and that's, that's all you really want to do. Um, and you've got your, your tag field is start looking. You don't have to have a target bow to do it, but start looking at, at shooting indoor archery when you're standing on a target line with you know let's just say you know at the shop up there in spokane you're standing on the target line with six to eight other guys you know a foot and a half away from you and you're trying to hit a quarter at 20 yards 30 times in a row you'd be surprised the type of nerves that puts on you and the focus that is required to to make that shot time and time and time again. Target archery, I think, could help anybody that wants to be a better hunter, whether they're an elk hunter, a whitetail hunter, they like to hunt mule deer in the high country, bears. It doesn't matter. It's going to make you a better archer all the way around. So in that shot execution, if you're hanging around target archers, you're going to you're going to get the type of people around you that can help you develop your shot. I'm not going to, I don't want to get into what a good shot looks like. There's resources out there that you can, you can uh, reference. I think John um, Dudley there is, is one of the better ones, if not the best at explaining in detail what a, what a solid shot looks like. So I'd encourage all your listeners to, uh, to look there um and he's a he's a shining example of you know archery all year long and um you know he's got the the results to you know back up what he's doing so i'd push all your all your people his way oh yeah definitely sure. you know i think about him i think about randy Olmer, who sure. Yeah, you know, he's like probably with the, like Don Corleone, man. He's like the best bow hunter that I think I can know of. Um, <laughs> I've never met the guy, but he is is consistent. He's just an incredible, incredible hunter. So he's a nerd. He knows everything about a bow. He could be uh-huh. an engineer. He's really smart. He's a veterinarian. He's a super smart guy. Like he's brilliant. He's got a background in 3D World Championships, and he was known for something that I'm going to end this podcast on. And, and I've Every time I post a video on Instagram, I have people like, oh, you switched to a hinge. And so I, I'm going to make a point here in a second. But like he was the first person to, to turn me on to. He had a bag full of releases, and he'd mm-hmm. be shooting world championships. And he would just reach into and grab any release, almost like not knowing, and just put it on. And he would just literally be a guy who would win archery tournaments with a bag full of different releases. It didn't matter the release. And what that did for him 
is it kept him honest on his shot break, on his execution, mm-hmm. and he couldn't get used to manipulating one or the other. So I have, and going forward, I still shoot a Scott XT release, single caliper. I like to shoot, wrap my index second uh, on my second knuckle, mm-hmm. and I like to pull through. I can still punch a trigger like the best of them. Uh, yeah, certain, me too. Certain, if I wanted to. If I wanted to. <laughs> and there is a time and place in the field with an animal there where you might need to do that. And sure. um, the reason why I, I actually I shoot so many different releases is I've shot – in my collection right now, I have several different manufacturer releases, some hinges without a safety, some with um, mm-hmm. a lot of carters, some thumb barrels that I shoot like back tension as well. And I want to talk about that. So I and I have I even have an HTM. I mean, I literally in the off season, and there is no off season for me. I have, still have deer and bear, but like right now, I'm not going elk hunting. So I literally just grab a different release every day and just shoot. go out and shoot. And so for those, it sounded like you were shooting a hinge the other day. Exactly, it looked like it was. Yeah, I was. I was shooting. A, I think it's a, it's a Carter. Like a honey. It's the Carter honey. Yeah. And uh, it's a great, it's a great, I love that. But I did try to use the two simple from Carter and kill a bear spot and stock. And I made like a 64 yard shot, which is a poke for me. Got a sick break. And the bear took it like a champ and came running down the mountain right by me. And I got time to get an arrow on. Second arrow. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to put one more in it. Just I would have ended the bears deal right then and there. And it comes by me at like, I don't know, less than 10 yards. I can't get – I couldn't like manually make a thumb barrel, which sounds – you should get it, but some people are like, what? Yeah, I couldn't get my th- – I taught myself how to shoot this like back tension. I could not punch the barrel. I did not know how to punch a barrel. And so the barrel goes – the bear goes running by me, and I never got a second arrow. And I just stayed there at full draw, and I couldn't get the shot to go off, um, mm-hmm. which I'm proud of because that's good ex- That's good execution. But, yeah. Um, it, I had to go trail that bear like another 300 yards in the dark, but I've got, I got him on the first shot, but it would have been nice right. to put that second one. Anyways, so right then and there, I decided, okay, I'm good enough to shoot with a single caliper, but I'm not good enough to shoot with it year round. I'm going to develop bad habits. So like, I literally have about seven different releases I cycle through, and it just depends on the day, and it keeps me honest. And I got that from Randy Ulmer, but I think mm-hmm. some of my favorite people that hunt, bow hunt, have a background in target archery and there's a reason why they have less mishaps they have great technique and when it comes down to the moment where you need ice in your veins they can lean upon all their hours of working on their craft and I sure. think that's where we should end what are a couple different releases folks should pick up for this year's off season okay so I think that honey is a really good one. True Ball Excel makes a release called the um, oh gosh, it's evading me right now. You might have to edit this part out. Uh, oh, I can look it up real quick. Let me get on the internet. And then what about um, what about uh, Dudley's got a couple? Yeah, Dudley's Dudley's got a couple. Um, if you want, what I'm trying to get at is a release that has a safety feature built into it so that honey from carter when you draw it back you got your thumb on the barrel you settle into your anchor you let go of the barrel and then you execute your shot from there your true ball excel makes a release that 
They have a, their back tensions is the Sweet Spot Pro. Sweet Spot, yeah, Sweet Spot Pro. Um, they had a number of different Sweet Spot releases, but that has a, a safety on the on the uh, the outside, just above the barrel of the release, that allows you to draw back with your hand position, essentially anywhere you want, without fear of the release oh, um, breaking sweet. free. Uh, set your anchor, turn the turn the safety off and then make your shot from there. Those two and then a lot of Dudley's releases um, are really well built and they're going to be a Carter release, which is the same manufacturer that Honey. Um, I really like his Silverback. Um, that's a that's a good release for anybody that wants to learn how to shoot a really dynamic shot, just constant, you know, continual pressure from beginning to end in a shot. But I guess this is this is where I'll end on this because there's so many different hinge releases out there. You know, learn the fundamentals of shooting that properly. And then I know you're a guy that uh, I think you call it delayed gratification, baby. Gratification, yeah. So this it's it comes back to that is you have to make you have to set in your mind that making a good shot outweighs putting the arrow in the middle. And it is the hardest damn thing to to do and it's it's a mental thing right yeah we're all we're all mentally screwed in that respect because you know when when you've got your buddies in front of you and and you're trying to prove that you can shoot you know you know all your arrows in the middle at you know 60 yards you know when you send one you know a little low or a little low right wide left that that weighs on you but just stick with it i mean it it will make you a better shot it's going to take time and a lot of time but once you get that process ingrained in it's just second nature to execute a shot where you're focused on aiming and not on you know what's going on in the back half of your shot you're going to be better for it so that's i that's the main thing i'd I'd say to somebody is commit to it you really have to and just make make that shot process the the goal to make that a a consistent part of your day you know wake up in the morning and, sh- and shoot arrows at shit i don't care yeah. three yards yeah in your garage focus on that motion and the things needed to make a good shot and not hitting in the middle yeah that's awesome okay man we got to get you some more followers on instagram no yeah no i hate okay so i like social media because i kind of troll on it Um, (laughs) and it's like i said there's there's a wealth of information out there so i I like to see what other people are doing what they're using so at back at backcountry 35 at backcountry 35 go there give him a follow he's my boy dude he's the guy who's had my back for several years he's my go-to he's my mini coach and he's the guy I'm going to send my videos to this offseason and have him pick me apart. Find yourself a mentor, friends. This is, this is part of the deal. It's becoming a better archer. It's only going to up your game. And the cool thing about archery is you never know it all. There is so much to work on. And if you think what you're doing is good enough, you are lazy and I'm allergic to you. It's not good enough. Nothing is ever good enough. Keep working towards your goals. Justin, mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on, dude. I feel like we dropped some good knowledge in here, and uh, you're a wealth of knowledge. If anyone's at a sportsman's warehouse, which one are you at? Uh, I'm in Lewiston. 
Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm down here in Lewiston. I'm, I'm behind the gun counter a lot of the time, but I, uh, I make my way over to the, the archery counter on a frequent basis during, uh, those months that, uh, guys bring their bows in. So, yeah. Well, I miss having you in my back pocket, but man, it's yeah, great. I miss being up there. It's, uh, you've got Josh though. And he's <laughs> like I said, he's the Yoda. Yeah. He's a good egg, man. And, yeah. uh, I appreciate your time, brother. And let's stay connected and I'll be sending you some videos shortly. Will do. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. All right, man. Have a great day. You too. All right. Later.